Welcome to Chief Digital Heroes, where we celebrate those who lead the charge on all things digital transformation at the world's most innovative banks and financial institutions. Here's your host, Matthew Van Niekerk, CEO and founder of Settlement. Now, let's jump right into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Chief Digital Heroes. Today, I'm speaking with uh, Arnaud Messette, uh, who's the Chief Digital Officer at Cassez in France, if I'm not mistaken. Arnaud, thanks for chatting with me today. Hi, Matthew. Nice to meet you and nice to be part of this podcast. Yeah, great. Super happy to have you here. I've read uh, all kinds of interesting things about Cassez, uh, so really eager to hear your viewpoint and your experience as uh, the Chief Digital Officer at Cassez. Let's get started then. So you've had an interesting career journey and path as well. So going, you're in banking and uh, asset servicing right now. But can you walk us a little bit through your professional journey? I understood you worked at PwC for a while, also at your group consulting, and that's led you to the chief digital officer position at Cassez. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yes, of course. So you're absolutely right. I started my career as a consultant, um, strategy and organization consultant, first in Eurogroup. And then uh, in PricewaterhouseCoopers, I've been working consulting for more than 15 years and always in the banking sector. And there I had the opportunity to, to work on several different kinds of projects, such as retail banking, asset servicing, uh, corporate and investment bank, and so on and so forth. And finally, uh, it's really, really traditional. I used to have some job with Cassis, and then one day, one of my former clients at Cassis called me back saying, do you want to work for us now? And of course, I answered yes, because it was a really challenging uh, and interesting environment. So uh, I joined Cassis in 2011, the end of 2011, as a deputy uh, chief product officer. Then I took the product. And finally, we started to see that there was some kind of a close discussion between products and digital. And we decided to go for creating the digital officer office in 2018. Then I left the product, started to build the digital team and what it meant at that time to, uh, to start the transformation, the digital transformation journey within the bank. Finally, in 2020, I got back the product on top of the digital and then the product marketing was added. And there's a clear reason why to this, because um, now it's uh, 100% sure each time you do have a product, you will have a special part from for digital topic within each of the products and marketing is both traditional and digital at the same time. So that's the reason why we're all together. And I have to say that I'm delighted to have this job, which is probably from my perspective, one of the best you can have. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, I think uh, there are not many products in the banking world today that don't have a very strong digital component indeed to uh, so bringing, uh, bringing it all, can I summarize it or characterize it correctly in saying that within the bank, uh, in the, the transformation process, it's you know, bringing together product and digital so that it's under one umbrella so that it's um, end-to-end managed to, as a digital offering. Is that? Absolutely. Is that that's absolutely the point. That's exactly it. So uh, that's the reason why we probably in 2018, we decided that it would be useful to uh, separate product from digital because we had to launch and to trigger the digital transformation journey. But really soon we realized that, as you just mentioned, for each product, you have a digital component and you cannot 
make one leave without the other. So that's the reason why we decided to put the whole things back together in 2020, only two years after, in fact. Yeah. All right. Pretty cool. And um, just as a chief digital officer, what can you maybe tell or share with our audience what a, a typical day looks like for you? Typical day. So uh, there is one. <laughs> <laughs> there, in fact, I would say there is no typical day, but I'm a lucky guy, I would say, because I have some uh, teams in different locations, and some in France, some in Luxembourg, in Germany, in Spain, and Netherlands, and so on and so forth. So one of the challenges is to be sure that everyone is on the same page, that we do share the same target, the same objectives, and just to have a, a quick view on, on how the projects are going. And I'm a true believer of the, um, let's say, what we can call the, the small victories. I don't believe that, that you have to wait for ages to have the most beautiful and big project. It doesn't, simply doesn't work. You have to deliver and to be sure that digital transformation will be taken seriously, you have to continuously deliver, even if it's small things, but on uh, keeping the rhythm and keeping the pace. So my, my typical day, I would say, is to be sure that we keep on delivering and that everyone is clear on the goal we want to achieve all together. Yep. And the second thing is that, as I mentioned, we are a different location and I have to be sure that everyone is able to explain to any kind of clients or any internal people what we are working on and what we want to achieve. Yeah, 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 because you kind of lead nicely into the next question I wanted to ask, which is, and you actually accentuate it uh, by, with the, um, the different location uh, dimension as well, but what kind of approach uh, do you use for management and can, would you characterize it in a certain way, like to manage in a kind of a continuous delivery organization is there are there specific methodologies or approaches that you adopt in order to achieve that continuous delivery cycle and having everybody on the same page yes it's now it sounds obvious it was less obvious a few years ago but we are working in agile mode we used to work in v cycle i would say and we, we stopped it right from the beginning when we when we created 3d because something i forgot to mention is that i am chief digital officer but by my business line is called 3d 3d meaning digital data and dissemination that's uh, that's important to us and it's also meaningful for a lot of our clients the way we we work is at full agile mode that's for sure and it's also uh, we are not working on our own because we it would be impossible so the thing is that we have to be curious we have to get some ideas from the clients from the regulation from the competition and from our own creativity it's in fact the four driver to uh, to manage the our roadmap and then once we have many ideas, many possible projects, it's a company decision to go for it. So uh, each time we want to launch or to start a new digital project, we have to agree with the other operational business line, with the IT, with the general management. And without their green lights, for sure it will go nowhere. So we decided to, uh, to manage the thing via what we call the product selection committee where the general management takes part, the other business line, the IT, the compliance, legal, and all the other support function. To be sure we're all on the same page and we agree to launch this project or this other one or reject such uh, project A or project B. And then we work with our own IT. We deliver, and as you can find in the, in the manufacturing, I would say, our model is build, operate, and transfer. Because we are a small team, so we build the new solution, we operate it to prove everyone that it works and that it adds some value to the whole uh, to the whole chain. And then we pass this project 
to a operational business line because we are not uh, we are not big enough to manage everything on our own. And that's the way we want to work. So agile mode, everyone agrees on the project, and then build operate transfer. Understood. Yeah. Okay. And how did you come up with that way of working? Is it something that kind of emerged from experience, or was it? Uh... Tell me a bit about that. How did you come up with the, the message? Exactly. So the agile mode, it was really clear for everyone that we had to experience it. So we started right from the beginning with agile mode and we really quickly validated that it was working pretty well. Yeah. The second part, first, we thought that we could uh, decide on our own what it was important to work on. And we quickly realized that without the others, it will never work. Yeah. So that's when the product selection committee was implemented. And since then, it, it works pretty well. And finally, the first project we delivered, like the mobile phone application, some new platform for the subscription redemption of funds and so on and so forth, we started to manage them on our own. And in the end, we realized that if we keep focusing on the run, there's no time anymore to focus on the creation and the innovation anymore. Got it. So that's when we realized that the normal path, the normal way to do so was to build, operate a little bit to see that it works to prove the value, and then if everyone agrees, it's up to an operational business line to take the project, to onboard it into its team and to make its own, to make it his own project. But it's only experience, you're right, because uh, to frankly speaking, it was not an easy way. Yeah, I'm really, because uh, I worked uh, a bit in the banking sector as well for, for several years, but to, I haven't heard of that kind of an approach where it sounds like, you gotta, okay, the idea comes either from clients, regulation or, or own creativity product is built. And then I can imagine there's almost like a competition for within the business lines. If, if you've, you've got a, a cracking new thing that you've created, one of the operational business managers needs to take that over for the run of it. So tell me if I've got it wrong, but it seems like it might create an interesting dynamic at senior levels to see, well, who, who gets this one and who gets that one in terms of what you guys are building? It is, in fact, because the things we deliver are supposed to be problem solving. So. Uh... If it comes from the regulation, we will solve this, uh, the problem links to the regulation from apply and demand something and so on and so forth. So each time we do deliver when a new tool, a new, uh, a new solution, some business lines want to be on the front line, I would say, to be the first one to benefit from the results. And that's really interesting because we have, and it's really positive trend, in fact, because once again, if we work on our own, if we don't embed or, and involve the business line, we will go nowhere. So. We have to be really, really sexy and fit, I would say, when, when we put the, uh, the idea on the table for one business line to say, okay, I take it and I will play with you. I will uh, focus my resources on your project and so on and so forth. But yeah. it's really interesting and, it, and this is the, um, let's say, the, the challenge of it. Yeah, yeah, really cool. And I think, um, so if you, you've spent uh, quite a few years in uh, consulting before joining Cassez. So I think you're in a, in a good position to say, well, where are we at Cassace in terms of digital transformation? If you were to you know, say a few words about where are you in the digital transformation process? I would say that we did a lot already and we had some uh, good basics at the beginning because we, we started like probably a lot of our peers with, the, with our web client portal and we have a, a strong web client portal. And from this web client portal, it triggers plenty of new ideas because when you have the client portal, you say, okay, why don't we do uh, an API portal? Because it could be helpful for the big clients. Why don't we use artificial intelligence to help the clients find the right information within the portal and so on and so forth. So we are, from my perspective, ending the first phase because we, um, 
we draft the roadmap starting in 2018, end of 2018. And we had many, many, many ideas and we delivered most of them. And it's only, I would say, the beginning of the real journey because uh, now we benefit from a, from a data leg, data visualization tool, API portal, strong web client portal. We are, and you know it a lot better than probably than I do, we, we are involved in, uh, deeply into the blockchain topics. We, we just get our digital asset service provider registration from the French regulator. So uh, it's, a, it's an important step. But we have all the, the foundations are there. Now it's really wide open in front of us to, to start building plenty of new things based on artificial intelligence, pushing forward to tokenization when we talk about blockchain, moving, for instance, from a speech to text to automation to trigger the right information into the web portal, all that kind of thing. So we finished the first part. The layers and the solid foundations are there. And uh, the sky's the limit now, I would say. Right. Yeah. So I guess, uh, I think a lot of companies that are in the banking sector, but also in other sectors, when they, they talk about digital transformation, they think about having a, yeah, what, what do we do as a business, which is something very tangible. And, and it's like, okay, we're going to create a digital version of that same business. And when you're taking that perspective, I think, you know, there's a start and a finish, but what you're describing is something quite different. Oh, it's a never-ending story. Mm. <laughs> we'll have, have to capitalize to keep developing. So no, it's never, never finished. Never, ever. For sure. Yeah, I guess what is digital transformation evolves through time and also with how far you are on the journey, what does it mean next and so forth. But yeah, there's no shortage of new technologies that are emerging. You, you mentioned AI and um and blockchain, but are there particular technologies that could add quantum computing to the mix and a number of other things, but are there particular technologies that you see as um, in the short and medium term, quite exciting, interesting, promising for Cassez? I think that there will be no surprise. AI is probably the most promising one. We do act in a specific business. Asset servicing is really specific. And we have, uh, frankly speaking, when we compare ourselves to our peers, when we look at our core businesses, there's no clear difference in custody, securities, or computing, NAB. It's the same going through Cassis or one of your of our competitors. The only differentiator is the user experience, um, the user interfaces, and so on and so forth. That's why digital is so important. The second point is that we are a volume business. So we have to rely on digital for, uh, for being more effective and to be a uh, be stronger in the way we process it. And finally, as you mentioned, the third one is that we have to leverage digital to be more efficient when it comes to sell, to try to ease the process for the clients. When we are not talking about one of the big services, but additional little one has to be able to subscribe directly online, not going through a, a hell of, uh, of uh, papers and, uh, and discussion and so on and so forth. So. In the end, when we look at this, using and, and leveraging on AI seems a uh, Seems obvious because uh, when the client is looking for a question, for an answer, we have to investigate into the generative AI uh, solution. When we want to process, I don't know, different documents that we have to analyze, let's go for OCR and natural language processing and all that kind of things. We already experimented a few of them, but they are the most promising at the moment right. from an operational standpoint. If we look on the pure business side, Everything related to digital assets will probably be the most important game changer in our, in our industry. So there are quite a few topics of high importance, and we summarize all of them. 
AI, blockchain and digital assets, I would say, and API as well, because in the end, it's always an exchange of information and, and APIs are getting um, really important in our, in our field at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe just a follow on question to that one, whether we talk about AI, blockchain or, or APIs, there's always like a transformation. I think you'd agree is, is more than just technology. There's a whole context in which transformation takes place. And if, or if we, if we were to go one by one, like AI, blockchain, APIs, are there things, friction points like a regulation or other things that can act as a, let's say a non-technical inhibitor to realizing a transformation. If you would to look at an AI, okay, well, we need to get this right, which is not the technical part, but it needs to be solved in order for it to, for us to capture that benefit. And uh, you know, blockchain or, or APIs. If you have any views on that, it'd be, I think that'd be really an interesting one for for the audience. Yes, if we talk, for instance, about uh, let's let's start with blockchain and digital assets first. Uh, you mentioned regulation. Yes, it was uh, one of the most important point for us. Are we allowed to act in that field? The, the answer now is yes, but regulation is fundamental. When you talk about asset servicing, that the mother of asset servicing is regulation. So if, we, if we're not acting in a regulated context, we are not acting at all. So regulation, for sure. After, we have to take care, once again, it will sound obvious, but we have to take care about the change management. Because when you talk about AI, people can be afraid that they will lose their job or something will change dramatically and they, they will have to adapt too quickly and it will be too hard and so on and so forth. We have to be transparent. AI is there to help human beings. It's not there to replace them. So, but it's still not so clear in the heads of everyone. And on top of this change management, you also have to be able to live with the idea that you need to uh, project yourself in the future. And what does it mean? It means that it will be sometimes quite hard convince the people that works in operation and that the one doing the real job on a daily basis, that what you're working on it will be important for their future because it's not so obvious sometimes. That's what to focus on from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So just to, just to summarize, I think then it's um, related to blockchain. It's a uh, regulation and, and congratulations on, on getting uh, approval from the regulator to operate in the space. Yes. Will that uh, enable you to then be like a, a DLT MTF or something like that, or is it uh, something different? No, we are uh, we are registered as a digital asset service provider for custody services. Got it under Thanks. the under the French PAC law. Got it. Yeah, and we are of course waiting for Mika to come at the European level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, the second one was AI, and there you mentioned about uh, the change management aspects, and um, yeah, it's great insights for the audience. And in terms of you know. The technical part, sometimes as uh, in the technology space, sometimes the technical part feels a little bit like the easy part. It's the, that's, I, that, that's, that make it uh, more difficult to realize meaningful change but uh, and transformation, but super. Now, maybe we've touched on it already, but as a chief digital officer, what would you say is a, a difficult part of the job? The most difficult part of the job, at least for me, was to realize that I can't manage everything on my own. Saying what I was granted with the digital transformation, I wanted to manage everything with my IT team, uh, saying, I will develop it on my own. I can do the same as the startup did and so on and so forth. And you quickly realize that, uh, no, it's not achievable or it's, it's not reasonable to think like that. So it took us a little time to understand that first, the startup and fintech, they don't want to compete with us. They want to work with us. So it changed a lot. And that we don't have to hide to our clients that we are working with fintechs and startups. So it doesn't, it's not useful anymore, I would say, to integrate the fintechs and startups 
in a white label model. You just have to, to work with them. They rely on your data. They provide additional services. It helps both of us to be a, a lot better in, a, in the time to market approach. We increase our product catalog. They increase the, the number of clients they can access. So it's, um, I used to hate the sentence win-win, but in that field, there's the reality behind. It's a real win-win situation. And that was the most important challenge. And that's the reason why we decided in the end to create at Cassis level, what we call the Connect Store, which is a platform that helps our clients to be in relationship with some pre-selected fintechs and startups. And they are shown as they are. We are not saying it's Cassis, that they are, got the name of the startup and so on and so forth. And we do the connection. And that's already an important part of a transformation, of a digital transformation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Maybe just to kind of double click on the, the fintech partnerships uh, side of thing. How does, so you have a, kind of a marketplace then for fintechs, if I've understood it uh, quite well. And if I can ask, what is the strategy in terms of growth for the marketplace and how do you engage with fintechs? Because I think it's interesting also because other banks are exploring uh, partnership models and how they can, especially with um, open banking and, and so forth, but how can we work in more of an ecosystem model? But it'd be, be fantastic to hear your thoughts on that. This was the starting point, in fact, the open finance and all that kind of open innovation and all that kind of thing. So uh, we realized quickly that the startup fintech that operates in our fields they always rely in 99% of the cases on what we call the portfolio composition file. And the portfolio composition file are managed by Cassis. It's managed by us. So in the benefits of the clients, the useful thing was to build this marketplace, building APIs between us and the fintech startup, being able to send them the portfolio composition file. And thanks to a single sign-on functionality to get the services back into our web portal. So for the clients, it's transparent, no effort to feed the startup, no relogging or no double password because we have a single sign-on functionality, online subscription to the service. So um, it's only a plus. For cases, it's only a plus as well because the client is, is satisfied. There's no competition between us and the FinTech startup because um, it's only additional services. It's not competing against our core services. And for the fintech, it's the help of our sales team is really key because we open our book to the fintech. So we help them to meet our clients, to make our clients understand their added value and all that kind of thing. So that's the reason why I was saying it's a win-win situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah, one plus one equals three. Is another one of those uh, added? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> a bit like, oh, what does that mean? But when you see it, you recognize it and you're like, ah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, and. Great that, uh, great that you're there with uh, with the marketplace and the cooperations with fintechs. I'm going to go back to the, the chief digital officer role, if we can, for a minute. And what do you think for viewers that are interested in having their career lead in the direction that, uh, that you've been successful at, what do you think are the, the top two or three skills that they need to develop in order to get themselves ready to take on such responsibility? The first one is um, to be uh, as curious as possible. You have to keep an eye everywhere, I would say, because um, you will always find something interesting. The second one is that I really believe that you have to question yourself, to always keep on asking, am I right? Is it good? If you're so sure of what you're doing, I think that the problem behind. And the third one is to be uh, fully convinced that you will never succeed alone. Because alone, no way. You have to convince, you have to be part, you are part of the global team. There has been too many noise 
probably around chief digital officer, digital transformation, you know, that kind of thing that lives on its own, uh, like uh, floating above the rest. No, 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 it doesn't work like this. Sim simply not. Or it will be a big failure. So that's my only advice. Yeah. Yeah, great. I think that's really useful to, to see. Now, for those that are, are thinking about the, this kind of a, a career trajectory, it's, it's not an easy, it's not a walk in the park, but I think you've learned a lot of lessons along the way. So your, your insights are extremely, uh, extremely useful. There's, yeah, I think you mentioned that um, it, there's been a lot of noise about the role of chief digital officer, but I think along with noise comes misunderstandings or misperceptions. And what for you are kind of like the common misunderstandings and misconceptions about the role of a, a chief digital officer? Probably in the beginning, there was too much expectation around digital transformation. The digital transformation, it will help the company to be better, to leverage on new technologies and all that kind of things, but it will not change the whole purpose of the company. If you're an asset servicer, you will still be an asset servicer. Maybe the, the form of the asset will change, the way you deliver services will change, but you'll still be an asset servicer. And digital transformation sometimes have been seen as something that will change the whole company from A to Z. And that's probably untrue. That's what I've learned from the past year, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that kind of, uh, it's like with, with change, when it comes, there's, uh, it's like the, the hype cycle in a way, there's a peak Indeed. of with expectations where we're going to, you know, reinvent sliced bread or something like that, <laughs> but uh, reality sets in and, and yeah, in business. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think you have, um, I was checking online for what's happening at Casais. And there's a lot happening in, in that I see a lot of uh, stories and press coverage of what you're doing. And I wondered if there were any exciting projects, events, or things that you know customers of Casais can look forward to in, in the, let's say, the month ahead or, or the in Q4. Is there something you would like to share with the audience that they should keep their eyes open for uh, that's up and coming? Yes. Just uh, in a few words, we will deliver a new uh new mobile application for our client to have uh, everything related to a cutoff time on the go. So it's uh, it's quite important. It means their NAV, their order collection. We will also deliver a new version of our API portal, which is a, a really important topic as well. And finally, uh, I told you about the custody of digital asset, and we will uh, soon deliver some uh, tokenization services. So it's only it's uh, another step towards a broader adoption of our, of digital assets and. Uh, all this will come in the in the next months. So um, okay. huge activity at Cassidy's and uh, yeah. and I will be really happy to uh, to explain it to everyone that would like to hear about it. That's it. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. So when we look at digital assets and obviously you have the license for the custody of that, do you see? I have a question on that actually. The, when we talk about digital assets, we can talk about let's say crypto assets, and here we talk about cryptocurrencies and, and so forth. There also, you know, there's a problem with the, the Web3 space. I think there's a lot of terms that are used interchangeably to mean different things, but there's new, like whether it's Bitcoin or Ether or other cryptocurrencies like that, but there's a whole class of, you know, $80 trillion worth of assets that are transacted every year in the conventional asset uh, space. And whether we talk about, you know, stocks or bonds or SPBs or of uh, complex financial products. So there's two bits that I think, you know, if you look at the size of the crypto asset market being cryptocurrencies, and then you look at digital asset space and the license you have, I, I think, is that for the crypto assets like cryptocurrencies, or is that also covering tokenized assets? And 
That's a really good question because um, this is important for everyone to understand our position. We didn't have to get an additional license for tokenized financial instruments. We already have it. We are a custodian. We are uh, what we call a, a service provider for financial instruments, whatever the form it has, in traditional form or token form. So we didn't have to, to ask for anything additional for the, the tokenized version of financial instruments. Uh, securities token, for instance, we were already in a position to, uh, to do so. And of course, if we want to do cryptocurrencies, NFT, utility token, we had to ask for a license. This is what we did, and this is what we just got with the digital asset service provider uh, registration. So now we are in a position to custody any kind of digital asset, from utility token to NFT going through securities token, and then when it will be live, uh, central bank digital currencies. Wow. Because in the end, if you look at the role of an asset servicer, it's to do some custody. And when you talk about custody tokens, you have a dedicated system, you have a wallet, you have a public address, and you have private keys. And what we do custody is our private keys. Yep. And it works for any kind of digital asset. It's always the same story. Wallet, public address, private key. So if we are able to do it for crypto, we are able to do it for NFT, and we are able to do it for security stock, and, and this is exactly what we do. Excellent. Now I get a very clear picture. It's a, a one-stop shop, no matter what kind of tokenized assets you have. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely right. That's it. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, you mentioned so to stay tuned for information about the, the digital asset offering, but I just wanted to, for the audience, um, you know, what's the best place to follow Caseus or to, to follow you uh, personally? Can you give it, just tell the crowd where they should be looking for you? Uh, re really traditional. I would say it's uh, the corporate website, Cassis.com and LinkedIn, the official account for Cassis and, uh, and my official account as well, which is uh, Arno Bissain, not so complicated, in fact. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> logical. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed the conversation quite a lot and uh, I'm sure that our audience will as well. So let's keep in touch and, and, and looking forward to talking again soon. Yes, pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chief Digital Heroes, brought to you by Settlement, the world's leading blockchain transformation platform. To learn more about Settlement or to access the latest episodes, visit Settlement.com.